0: Norway exploits natural gas in the Arctic, more specifically in the Snow White Field, about 140 kilometers northwest of Hammerfest in northern Norway. Since there is no pipeline that runs from northern Norway to the main customers for Norwegian gas in Central Europe, the gas needs to be liquefied. This is done by pressurizing the gas, which is a very energy-intensive process. Currently, the pressurizing process uses some of the gas that comes out of the snow-white field. However, due to the substantial emissions, the plant needs to be decarbonized for Norway to reach its carbon reduction targets. You can't just burn gas anymore. For about a decade, there was talk that the Melka plant, the LNG plant there, uh, the gas pressurizing plant, would be decarbonized by installing a carbon capture and storage facility. But then, the plants were switched this summer and it was decided that the plant would be not having the carbon capture and storage facility, but it would be electrified. Was that a wise decision, given that large-scale renewable and electricity projects in Norway do face challenges when it comes to the implementation? This is the question that this episode will try to answer. For this episode, I'm joined by Ivan Bersta. Ivan is a chemical engineer and has been looking at the Melchior process for Bologna, an NGO aiming to accelerate the energy transition in Norway and beyond. I'm your host Julius Wesche and this is episode 58 of the Antinu Energy Transition podcast. Let's go.
1: It's definitely a signal to Europe. As a a nation, we go out in Europe and then we front CCS like this is great, you should do it. We'll store all your CO2, Uh, we're going to be partners and uh, we're going to make this decarbonization happen. But we're not going to do it ourselves, you know, that's uh, super expensive and very, very tricky. and There's not enough space and not enough power, so we're not uh, doing it ourselves.
0: Welcome Avon to the podcast. Uh, how, how, how's your muscles doing? I heard you ran a uh, marathon yesterday.
1: Oh, uh, surprisingly good. Uh, I gave it my very best and finished five minutes faster than last year. So all progress is celebrated, but yeah, I'm paying a bit for it with sore legs today.
0: <laughs> cool, Avin. Um g- Give us an idea. Uh, who, who are you and uh, how come that you are so interested in carbon capture?
1: so'm um, uh, I'm Ivan a uh, process engineer come from a industrial town Pukin uh, always uh, been some kind of involved in the industry uh, watching the chimneys and whatever comes out of it and uh, been uh, always interested in finding ways on cutting emissions um, and that can be done with uh, process technology to a certain extent that I studied at university and now, um yeah more more interested in carbon capture and storage than many other things
0: is it a cheesy joke if i ask you if carbon capture the the role of carbon capture is very similar to a to a marathon and takes a lot of time
1: Uh, it takes forever it takes absolutely forever first you need to convince someone to run a marathon Uh, Same with CCS, you need to convince someone to actually do CCS and then they figure out, oh, that's a long project that's going to take forever and it's going to hurt. So it's not something that anyone would be particularly all in on doing uh, first time you hear about it. But after a while with some practice and you figure out there is no other way than running this marathon, then you just got to pull yourself together and do it. And that's pretty much an analogy to carbon capture and storage as well.
0: It's nice. I just throw you this idea and you directly make a really <laughs> nice analogy out of it. Well done, Eamon. Cool. <laughs> uh, we, we talk about Melka today and uh, obviously the different pathways on how to decarbonize that. And we'll talk about CCS and we'll talk about electrification. And that's pretty much yeah been on the table while the uh, CCS route is uh, yeah not so much on the table anymore. But before we do that, give us an idea in the audience uh, of the organization that you work for, Bellona.
1: Bellona. Yeah, it's an environmental NGO. Uh, It used to be uh, protesting against pollution and fighting environmental crime. But then it sort of turned into a um, a climate solution organization. So what we spend most of our time on is finding solutions for different industries to decarbonize and show that, spread it, uh, make it happen. That's, uh, That's basically how it is. We're We're um, maybe 70 people, um, most of us in Norway and then other countries as well, um, trying to show climate solutions on on different levels. So I guess for for carbon capture and storage, that's sort of uh, been close to heart to the organization for more than 20 years. So it's uh, good to finally see some movement, but still um, not even close to the challenge ahead.
0: Hmm. Back in my days when I started the PhD uh, being more on the left side and uh, I, I was a bit like what is this Bellona thing? They mm-hmm. don't really act like an NGO they where do they get their funding from all that stuff so I was like hmm kind of a bit a bit uh, yeah, I was just not not really sure what what you guys are doing, but give give us an idea how, how you guys are financed. And because I f- feel that you, you're not the ones that go in front of, I don't know, in, in front of the traffic jams and say you can't pass here, but you want to work with industry. And that I guess you, some money comes from industry, but also the money comes from other funding sources. Give us an idea to just um, yeah have some disclosure here.
1: Yeah, a lot of our funding comes from philanthropy. So that is... Uh... Uh, different funds that uh, fund climate uh, climate work. Uh, that's the main bunch of the business. Um, another important income is uh, cooperation programs with industry, uh, which contain a certain amount of support to our organization's work uh, on uh, specific issues when it comes to carbon capture and storage. It's, uh, it's of course, important for us that everything that we do is beneficial for the whole industry and not for one certain company. We're not a consultant company, but we are still involved in showing climate solutions that different companies are a part of. And what we need from the companies uh, is, of course, information about what is technological available, uh, what are the barriers for this to be uh, deployed, so we can also use information and test out ideas on industries that will actually build this stuff uh, and try to come up with good policy recommendation based on that, uh, but it's, uh, let's see. So we also get some um, uh, some um, uh, research funding. So we're part of different research uh, projects. Um, so for example, Sintef could be a go-to partner for research projects where we do a certain part of that. Uh, and there's a small amount of uh, state funding, which is uh, in the big picture a very, very small amount. But uh, one of the one of the uh, uh, critics I normally get when I walk around new new cities is, ah, it's nice to be a fully state-funded organization, isn't it? I'm like, what? Where did you get that from? It's like less than two percent of our budget. Like we. We definitely are not <laughs> a fully state-funded organization, so it comes from yeah different uh, sources. Uh, covered the grand majority of it. Uh, we're not a member organization, so we don't have like member fees, uh, but we have some some uh, support uh, su- uh, supporting programs as well. So even though uh, people or organizations doesn't necessarily have a, a formal cooperation with Bologna, they can still Uh, support our work Uh, so that's also an important part of our
0: funding all right good thanks for giving an overview here let's dive in into Melke so we know that uh, we have to decarbonize not just Norway not just Scandinavia but also the Nordics and the EU and we have this uh, scheme in place which is called the European Union um, emission trading scheme EU ETS and uh, about 80% of greenhouse gas emissions in Norway are actually either taxed or regulated under the EU ETS and um, there is this lovely um, LNG plant in the north of in the north of Norway, uh, which is called Melkoya. And that plant, if I'm not uh, mistaken, um, emits about 850 tons of CO2 a year. And uh, I guess that was the reason why, um, why yeah, talk was in the street that maybe there needs to be done something because that can't just continue like that. Also, in order to hit um, the emission reduction goals of the government, can you give us an idea what is Melkoya? Um, and why, why and how did the development look like as they turned out to be? Give us the big picture, even.
1: Yeah, you can actually add at least uh, three zeros to that uh, figure. So in a, in a year with uh, low emissions, you can get down to 850,000 tons of CO2 emissions per year. But yeah, on, on average, it's around uh, ballpark 1 million uh, tons of CO2 per year. Um, so the uh, LNG plant's purpose is to uh, export natural gas. So in the Arctic, you don't have a, a pipeline. Um, many want a pipeline. I hope we never get a pipeline. Uh, but the export opportunities for, for uh, natural gas from the Arctic is by ship. And to be able to get natural gas on the ship, you need to... Uh, reduce the volume and you do that by liquefying the natural gas when you liquefy natural gas it's very important that it doesn't contain any carbon dioxide because carbon dioxide turns into a solid state when you cool it down and it's gonna clog all your pipes and walls and create a mess so you need to separate out the co2 that is uh, naturally um, occurring and coming up with the natural gas. Uh, that is what is being uh, captured today at uh, Melkia and injected uh, back into the field. I have been doing that since uh, 2008. Um, whilst the great source of CO2 emissions from Melkia today is from, from the uh, electricity generation and the heat generation, which is done by uh, normal gas turbines basically
0: so it makes sense then, that, yeah, yeah that, that you have this field it's called Snøvit, i think isn't it and then it's a couple of hundred kilometers north of hammerfest in the north of norway and then there is this little island called Melkoya, and then on Melkoya all the uh, all the gas comes up and there's a five to eight percent co2 around there, at least that's what I read. And then they kind of t- take this out and they don't. That's interesting. That's interesting. I just learned that from, you know, it's like they don't take it out because they because it's like environmental reason, but it's they need to do that in order so that it doesn't clock and valves and pipes and all that stuff. So yeah. they need to take it out and put it under sniff it again. What's that? 2,600 meters under under the seabed or something, isn't it? So it like comes down and then it goes in the it up again, which is yeah, it's interesting. So, so, and then it's understandable, okay, that they need electricity and they need something to make this pressure available to 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 decrease the the size, let's say, from the gas to to the um, to to liquefy that that gas. Why is it that normally they would use uh, gas for that in general? Why not electrify it from the get go? Uh,
1: well, that's a, that's an option. Uh, you also need the heat, and you also need the electricity, which you currently Uh, don't have in uh, northern Norway. Um, This is also the reason why uh, you have gas turbines in in general in in Norway. I mean, you either lack connection to the grid or you don't have enough uh, electricity uh, production going on in that area. Um, That's relevant for um, all um, petrochemical plants related to uh, gas production on the west coast. Uh, Also to offshore uh, oil and gas production facilities you're either not connected to the grid or uh, you don't have enough production capacity in in the grid to support those um, electricity needs so to speak
0: Mm. and and why is it that carbon capture is only coming up now when we oh like did they realize we have to do something about the carbon emissions there why is that such a hot, hot topic now and not years ago you said I think that it was operational since 2002?
1: Yeah I mean this have been uh, part of the discussion for a very long time. Uh, it was part of the discussion when uh, the idea of the LNG plant was uh, first brought up. Uh, it was part of the uh, governmental discussion and decision. Um, so already then um, it was agreed that the um, LNG plant should set aside uh, area and space for a future carbon capture facility, and it was also part of the um, environmental agency's emission um, permit to uh, to the operator. That okay, we're going to give you a permit to emit CO2 now, but you have to um, study and uh, uh, when a technology for reducing emissions are available, uh, then you uh, need to apply that technology. So CCS was always part of the discussion when uh, when a new uh, gas turbine is uh, being built because even since the 90s, this has been a very important part of Norwegian policy. Like we have this emission reduction targets uh, building new gas power plants uh, with emissions is not going to help us reach our targets. Uh, so different uh, politicians and industry actors have been pushing for um, carbon capture and storage as a license to operate gas power plants for soon yes, three decades. So it's it's not something that just came up now at Melkea, but the political possibility to bring up the discussion was um, was definitely um, induced by uh, Equinor's application for electrifying the LNG plant. Then uh, a lot of those, including us, who have been following this discussion for a long time, said, wait, what? Uh, CCS was the idea from the beginning. What what happened to CCS here?
0: That's what, what happened to CCS? <laughs>
1: yeah, what happened to CCS? <laughs> um, so what happened to ccs um, depends on who you ask so i'm going to give you the uh, bologna story uh, of that now um, and
0: so obviously you- that's that's <laughs> like always just by inviting you we'll probably give a little bit of a different view than than others if inviting you than inviting you so i appreciate that you're just being honest there. but the audience obviously this is just one version I yep. think it's a the sensible version, but obviously the, we are doing this to make knowledge available, so then you can decide for yourself what's what's right, what's wrong, and if you find the process good or maybe uh, you see room for for um, and yeah, enhancing the quality. But mm-hmm. I and mean, he goes, he goes to take yeah,
1: yeah. So um, Equinor is also. Um, uh, responsible so we have to say for... Equinor
0: Equino operates ah, yeah. Merke, yeah, yeah isn't it like, that's,
1: the... that's that's correct Equinor is the operator uh, at the LNG plant so yeah. when and they the, um... sorry
0: and the sorry but but the in the LNG pla- and LNG is then just for the people who don't know what it, how that really works you said okay there's no pipelines, so we can't really transport it by, by a pipeline to I don't know Germany again or other European states so then they put it on They put it on vessels isn't it on ships and then they transport it to wherever the need is isn't it i read something that there is a deal with Iberdrola in spain but also deal with the united uh, american companies but i guess that could change over over time who has the highest bid is that correct
1: yeah yeah of course um that's the one of the pros with uh, lng is that it's flexible so you can you can uh, send your ship to another place based on uh, market conditions, but uh, Spain has been um, a quite uh, frequent uh, uh, customer of LNG.
0: But LNG is also more expensive, isn't it because all this pressurizing it takes more energy, it takes more cost. So if you can have a pipeline, that makes financially more cheap for the for the company or the country that buys it instead of instead of LNG?
1: In general, uh, in general, that's the case. Uh, But for pipelines, you also need large volumes, because pipelines are expensive, so you have a certain threshold. Uh, So at low volumes, you do it by ship, LNG, and larger volumes, you do it by uh, pipeline. Uh, But also over longer distances, you also use uh, ships. For example, when you want to transport uh, American gas to the European market, then you also transport by ship.
0: Okay, what happened to CCS? Yeah, that, that's what happened to CCS. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so when the operator of the LNG plant, Equinor, applied for electrification, they also need to evaluate what alternatives that they have. And they uh, say that they have evaluated carbon capture and storage on existing turbines and found that to be very expensive uh, in the area of uh, five to 7,000. Knock per ton of CO2, which uh, was very surprising to us because that's extremely high compared to other CCS projects. So we were asking like, how how did this get so expensive? What what are the assumptions behind this? Like, why is this LNG plant so much more expensive than other CCS projects? So we asked for like, yeah. Um, uh, what are your assumptions? And we we got some vague answers, but most of it was kept secret. Uh, so we were still uh, very much advocating for an independent review of the possibilities of carbon capture and storage on this.
0: Just for like putting these these, these numbers that you just mentioned in, into perspective, um, when we think about the EU ETS, there's the opportunity that when you emit a lot of CO2, you can buy these allowances and the price of these allowances has for the last for the first time last year jumped over 100 euros now today i just yep. checked it is i think 96 or something so if you have a technology that is cheaper to capture co2 and sequestrate it that is mm-hmm. lower than 96 euros then it just makes sense to do that if it is yep. higher than 96 euros, then it makes sense to um to uh, you know to not implement your plant or whatever it is but you just by the allowances. Obviously these prices float, so it's, we can't expect that in 10 years it's the same price. But you just mentioned, what's that? 4,000 knock to 6,000 knock, which kind of translates to 400 to 600 euros, which is four to six times more expensive than just buying the allowances. So just to put this in perspective, it's it's really high prices that, that are floating around there, apparently from Equinor.
1: Yeah. Uh, and also there is a Norwegian uh, CO2 tax which comes on top of the uh, emission allowances. So in 2030, the Norwegian government is aiming at the price of emissions at uh, 200 euros or 2000 NOK per ton of CO2. So that is what a company that is now making their investment decisions in um, reduction technologies or pathways, they look at, okay, uh, we, expect that the cost of emissions is 2,000 knock in 2030. And if, if we can, as you say, come up with a, a solution that reduces emissions for less than that, that's you know just profitable to do. So that's something you just do. That yeah. is, um, for example, also what happened uh, at uh, Sleipner, uh, which is an oil and gas uh, installation uh, production platform that has a lot of associated gas, um, CO2 in in the gas, too much CO2 for the uh, the product spec. So they uh, needed to take out some of that CO2. And then you have the uh, possibility, you either just release that CO2 to the atmosphere and pay your tax or you inject it in um, in geological storage locations. And uh, the Norwegian CO2 tax was high enough for A CCS project there. Um, So just for uh, understanding, even
0: yeah, just understanding. And I don't know the answer to this question. Really, is like this this Norwegian tax. If you say it's two thousand knock, is that included in the ninety six or like the 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 cost for the emission or or okay? So it's it's that's like the number that companies calculate with.
1: Yeah. So what the government have uh, proposed is that in twenty thirty the combined cost of emissions, ETS plus the Norwegian CO2 tax, shall be 2,000 NAC per tonne of CO2. That is 2020 currency. Or if the ETS is higher, then of course you follow that price. Then, then you, uh, of course, go over 2,000 NOK. But uh, uh, the, it will at least be 2,000 NOK.
0: Okay, which is a good cool. idea in general to, to have a proper incentive system there for decision makers to make carbon, low carbon, low carbon decisions, if, if you will. Yeah. Okay, so, so now we have Equinor as the operator of that plant, uh, suddenly coming up with these ideas to electrify. From yeah. your perspective, what, what would be the ideas? Why, why would you think that Equinor comes up with, it, with that? What are, what, are the, what are the advantages of electrifying uh, Melkoya from their perspective?
1: Well, as you said, the cost of emissions have increased rapidly in recent years. So the cost of EU ETS uh, allowances have gone up by very quickly, very fast. So for the profitability of an LG plant, uh, you really need to do something about your emissions, at least in the long term. You, you see what direction this is going, uh, you need to reduce emissions, and uh, that's why. Uh, the um, uh, emission reduction uh, program was also released now in combination with uh, a bigger development program called the Snowvit Future, uh, which is um, relevant because as the Snowvit field uh, matures, you need more pressure. So you need more uh, compressors and you need more energy. And then you think, hmm, how are we going to do this? and have low emissions to avoid those costs. That's uh, also what sparked the electrification projects. What happened next was that uh, many different actors got interested in uh, what happened to the CCS and especially reacting to uh, the signals coming from the operator Equinor like uh, where does this cost come from uh Cintef was really active uh, asking for this because if there is a certain um certain elements at the uh, LNG plant that makes CCS so expensive we need to know why because uh european industry is is following this uh, public discussion and if the if they are left with the um impression that CCS is Four to seven times higher than the DS price, you're you're gonna close your project. There's no way of going forward with it if that is the price. So yeah, and uh, other others as well were asking for this, and uh, the Parliament actually came to a uh, unanimous vote on this uh, in spring, uh, asking the uh, government to do a Evaluation of uh, CCS at Melke if that could be a an alternative to electrification from the grid, um, which they sort of did. Uh, in my opinion, it was a very uh, very fast work. Um, just asking the um, uh, the um, uh, petroleum directorate if they could have a look at it. They looked at Equinor's numbers, so okay, price is still high, Uh, and then uh, figure out that uh, CCS was more expensive and could not be uh, delivered in time compared to electrification, and that the gas production would be slightly reduced. So that was the evaluation that the government did.
0: Mm-hmm. i mean you were recently at another podcast from, uh, called mimir and marstal if i if that's the right way of putting it um there you said that, and by the way um this is a recommendation to listen to if you are norwegian able to understand norwegian then uh, please please have a listen to that one too we're going to put it into the show notes um i mean you say that in the process there were a lot of documents that were not really available. It was really not that easy for you guys to have a look what government was actually doing or maybe what what Equinox was really doing. And then there was apparently one document that was leaked. Can you give us an idea about the process there? And what was the in? What was the the content of that one one document that leaked? Yeah, yeah. So
1: in general, all documents related to uh, CCS evaluations at Melkia were not publicly available. And that is very problematic for for us as in um, trying to follow the discussion and figure out what's going on. Are uh, rules being followed, uh, compliant with uh, different regulations? Uh, We have no idea because uh, we don't get any information about uh, what's going on, what assumptions are being made. So even though we asked uh, different, um, uh, both agencies and um, uh, ministries about information, it was cold turkey. You get zero zero insight in this, uh, not even a, uh, parts of the documents. It was all being hidden. And uh, we don't like that very much for transparency reasons for such a big... Uh, political uh, decision it should be open and available what kind of information the government is basing its decisions on but this was kept hidden due to competition rules uh, which i do not agree with either because there is only one lng plant and if you want to build carbon capture and storage on it it should very much uh, be a good reason to to uh, make that information public or if certain amounts or certain figures in there are competition sensitive, then you can censor those. But the general uh, ways of evaluating CCS options shouldn't be hidden due to competition rules. But one document was uh, was leaked and that was a very brief note from uh, the Ministry of Petroleum and Energy that said, yeah, the uh, uh, the um, uh, agency under them, ole the directorate, NPD, have done an evaluation saying that, yeah, Equinor says uh, CCS is expensive, so uh, it's better to electrify it. But it seemed very... Uh, very, f- they had very little time to do it. Only, uh, I think, twelve days or so uh, to do an ev- evaluation of a CCS project, which is, you know, very uh, short amount of time. I would rather see a thorough investigation with uh, independent uh, parties to evaluate whether or not this uh, was a real alternative to electrification. But uh, yeah um very short evaluation um turned out why, nice.
0: why why do you think or what makes you so sure, sure that uh, external reviewers for example you just mentioned sindef uh, were not part of the process was that the case or are you just assuming that
1: um uh, i'm 100 I'm sure that they weren't part of it um and also other natural parties to be involved in such an evaluation Like the state's own competence center for CCS, Gas uh, was not uh, invited uh, or involved in the process. Also the the, uh, department of CCS, the CCS section of the Ministry of Petroleum and Energy, were also not involved in the process. So all the CCS guys, they were left outside and then the gas guys were doing the evaluation and then it's fairly easy to foresee what kind of uh, conclusion they will uh, come up with because their only um, job is to um, use resources on the Norwegian continental shelf as uh, good for Norway as possible. Um, And things related to climate is not part of their, their job, basically
0: good for norway you mean in a, in a financial economic sense
1: usually that's uh, that's what it means yeah
0: okay yeah if we now go a bit away from this uh, this 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 one argument so so i understand there were like two arguments of like why ccs doesn't really work on america one is the price argument it's expensive and the other one was a place argument mm-hmm. can you give us an idea what was this place argument about and isn't a place that has seen a lot of uh, a lot of construction over the years already? Why would it be not possible to maybe build a CCS plant there as well?
1: Yeah, the argument uh, about space restrictions is partly due to the carbon capture plant itself, uh, that there is not enough area on the island to build a, a carbon capture plant, which to me, it's a very weak argument because there wasn't enough room to place an LNG plant there either, but that's just something that you built, right? So you can either uh, do it like you did on the whole LNG plant, that you place it on a barge and place it next to the island, and then you fill up the area around. So you can, of course, expand an island. Uh, but I also think that uh, it should be enough area on the island itself as it is now. That's w- at least what uh, drawings are, are showing. Uh, the uh, more important parts of uh, space restrictions is in the existing CO2 pipeline and the existing CO2 injection well and reservoir. Where the operator says uh, most likely you need uh, a new uh, pipeline and you also uh, need a new well and you need a new, potentially a new reservoir as well, uh, which not everyone agrees it's is the case, uh, that uh, there could be uh, enough space in the pipeline um, and that their reservoir is definitely big enough to to inject more than twice the amount that we do already today. Uh, which corresponds to the amount of CO two from the uh, gas power plants. Mm-hmm. So I'm not not convinced that the uh, space restrictions or space problems or volume problems is such a showbreaker that the operator says. Um, but yeah, that's what they claim.
0: Okay, so just for understanding, so they would if there would be a CCS plan, then they would use the same pipeline that they're using right now to ship, like not ship, but like push the CCS, so the CC, uh, the, CC, uh, the carbon under uh, under this the, the the seabed. And the claim was that that one is probably not big enough, potentially, at least that was the argument. And then also where it would be sequestered is there's not enough space. I've seen that yeah. as well on an Equino web page that they, they're claiming that it's not not enough space there which kind of fits into the story if that's how you want to build build the story uh, I suppose um but yeah. obviously we are not here uh, we can we can't really um assess if, if that's true or, or not true um so so I mean so so you said in to go back on uh, into the time timeline and um, you said that in. In spring, there was the request from parts of the of the, of the parliament. So mm-hmm. there was probably like a committee, as every parliament has to. Okay, let's let's get an evaluation, and then the um, oil and oil and energy ministry had this evaluation, this ten day evaluation with internal expert, as they say, but with no external experts. Um, and they say, okay, uh, prices are high, we continue. And now we are in October, and now we had another. Um, yeah, it's not an election, but we had another. What, what happened last week? What happened? Uh, what happened <laughs> was some of the
1: opposition parties in parliament uh, asked again, uh, but clear, uh, we need an independent evaluation of uh, CCS at Melkea. This was uh, supported by the opposition parties, except um, the uh, Liberal Party and, and government. So the majority vote uh, was against the proposal. Uh, which means that most likely uh, the political debate in parliament about uh, CCS and electrification of Melkia is now dead, unless something spectacular happens. But most likely uh, that's a that's a lost case, and and you continue uh, on, um, let's say, uh, working as if the electrification plan goes as the operator and uh, the government uh, uh, plans for it to be. Now, what I think will happen and why I have been uh, interested in the carbon capture route at Merke is because I do not believe the plan for building such amounts of uh, uh, wind power production and grids in... Finnmark County of of Norway uh, to be fully built out and operational in the timeline of this project, meaning uh, shortly after 2030. And if that doesn't happen, what are we left with then? We are left with a gas power plant that continues to run as it does today, which would be the worst uh, outcome of uh, all alternatives on the table.
0: But the government is very, seems to be quite confident that they will manage the electrification or what are the implications of that decision? Like I've read about it, obviously, but just like from your perspective. So we already have quite a lot of uh, conversations around uh, electricity power um, build up in many parts of Norway and also in Finnmark. And now we want to have that, uh, the electrification of that LNG plant, which would require a lot of new power infrastructure. Uh, yeah. How would that look like? What are the plans there? Yeah. What kind of contestations and discussions do you foresee to happen?
1: Yeah, so that I mean, you need to build out enough power production to be able to supply the LNG plant uh, continuously every day, day and night, when it's windy, when it's not windy, with uh, between three and four terawatt hours of uh, electrical energy. That means quite a lot of uh, onshore wind um, in the area of 150 uh, square kilometers uh, area. It's very, very difficult to find 150 square kilometers of conflict-free area in Finnmark. uh, Even in Finnmark. Yeah. Or maybe especially...
0: yeah, I don't um, know. It's like sometimes <laughs> I feel like people claim there's no one living there, and then on the other hand, obviously there live people, and they've had so much experience with with the Alta uh, 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 Alta hydro plant back in the what's that 60s and 70s. It's such a sensitive area as well, um, and people been hurt so often by the government, and now we want to do more green capitalism and like build out a lot of wind farms. Yeah, you need like six. Alta
1: power stations to power the LNG plant at Melkia. So it's a lot of electricity needed. Um, Of course, you haven't solved the um, uh, Sami interest at all. You still have the um, uh, Fulsen court case still in the back of our our minds. And uh, as far as I understand it, the possibility or probability of building this amount of electrical power generation in Finnmark by 2031 is now less than it was in early August when the government uh, approved uh, this plan. So, I mean, yeah, it's a a real tough uh, case, Um, but I still think this could have been easily solved with uh, carbon capture and storage if the government just said, Yo, this is uh, your emissions, they need to go down, you have to fix it yourself, go do it. Like a a requirement rather than...
0: Consultation uh, process with Equinor. um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: I think it would be doable. Um, At least uh, I would like to see all the uh, assumptions behind it and... Uh, at least have uh, carbon capture and storage as evaluated uh, transparently and uh, uh, independent, so that we're not left with uh, open questions like, yeah, was this the full story? Did we really do the right thing? Because it's such an important political decision. Uh, It's vital for uh, the future of uh, other industries and uh, the power situation in Finnmark and, you know, it's a it's a very very important decision and then uh, you know it it needs to have a a robust process because it's going to affect us for decades to come
0: yeah so now we don't really get this opportunity of really trying out CCS in Northern Norway at scale what do you foresee are the implications uh, for the Norwegian, the Scandinavian, the Nordics, and the maybe even European uh, innovation system that builds up around, around CCS? Because we've got quite a lot of companies um, that are doing or like working with carbon capture, um, either from the supplier side, for example, uh, Arca Carbon Capture, um, with Emil Itoosan who joined us a couple of episodes uh, ago. But also, we think about the you know the um, the industry players that know they have to do kind of something. So, what does this have implicate? What kind of implications do you foresee um, from this case not implementing CCS and milk? now for the whole system,
1: it's definitely a signal to Europe, you know, we, as, a, as a nation, we go out in Europe and then we, we uh, front CCS like this is great. You should do it. We'll store all your CO2 uh, we're going to be partners and uh, we're going to make this decarbonization happen. But we're not going to do it ourselves. you know, that's uh, super expensive and very, very tricky. And there's not enough space and not enough power. So no, we're not uh, doing it ourselves. It, it, it doesn't look very good um but you know um especially uh, the price signal is uh it's not very helpful
0: um but couldn't that be solved like like not solved but like a lot of companies right now go to the United States and, and to, to do CCS projects there and we'll get a lot of ideas of how much CCS will really cost in real life applications so maybe it's maybe we shouldn't over overstate um the imp- impacts of, of melco now with with random high prices of four thousand to six thousand knock but we'll look at other projects that will be implemented in the next couple of years and then we get more reasonable prices
1: yeah hopefully hopefully uh, but then <laughs> <laughs> but then, <Hopefully. laughs> then it also we yeah. well uh, i mean it doesn't give me a lot of uh, um good night's sleep to uh, say i told you so uh, that uh, Someone was overestimating the prices of carbon capture and storage at uh, but that is still a <laughs> feeling that I have that is done. So if you can show that, yeah, the carbon capture and storage can be reasonably uh, priced, then it's definitely doable. And when, when the framework conditions are in place and the operators are motivated to actually uh, install such uh, infrastructure, then of course you, you get uh, reasonable prices. But if the... Um, If the status is that we don't want to do CCS, we will sabotage this uh, as much as we can uh, by making it uh, look very complicated and very expensive. Um, That's uh, a feeling that I have that happened at Melkia
0: yeah all right all right so so what are the you said that politically that that project is dead now after the after the vote now in in the sorting last week um is there anything that gives you hope because i don't want to end this episode on like everything is bad because it's not there's always new opportunities so what opportunities do you see evan (laughs) um
1: yeah i mean for uh, for ccs in general the momentum is uh strong stronger than ever i think that the train has left the station and it's too much mass in motion that some specific projects can kill the whole global momentum. Uh, so that's, uh, that's a good sign. Um, the other good sign is that the longship project is uh, looks very much like it's going to be operational by the first quarter of 2025. Then we have uh, some concrete projects that we can actually see a full value chain. We can demonstrate that uh, the infrastructure works, it's safe, um, and can be uh, used as uh, a tool against uh, uh, other industries and other countries. Like, look, this actually works. See, what's your excuse not to deploy this now? So, I, I guess uh, also. <laughs> Also what happens in the US, um, when you have the framework conditions in place, then the CCS is being deployed quite automatically. And that's what I assume will happen in in Europe as well, when um, either the cost of uh, emissions is uh, so high that it's uh, profitable to install carbon capture and storage, or that the support that you get from uh, either the government or from a um, European Union support scheme is large enough to close that gap between the cost of uh, emissions and costs of uh, carbon capture and storage. Uh, so yeah, uh, I mean, uh, there are many good reasons to be hopeful. Um, but uh, still, uh, the
0: it challenge a good ahead is like massive.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I guess that, that that just happens in social and technical transitions where they are never easy, they're always complex, they're always intricate. There's a lot of actors that have their agendas and that takes time and maybe it's not that we have a lot of time left, but we will always encounter things that where things don't work or they could it could have been faster and maybe Melka is one of these cases and I hope that we don't you know that what you just said that we need several altars now to power in the future melkoya and I hope that we will not run into a into a decade of of contestation and of fighting when it comes to where to put up these uh these these power plants the the wind power plants even though it looks a bit as if that might that if it's yeah it, if it might come and um, yep. yeah let's let's see that uh, yeah let's hope it doesn't turn out too bad okay evan berstad thanks for joining me for this episode of the internet energy transition podcast it was a pleasure talking to you thanks for all your inter- uh, your yeah the insights that you gave us all the best in your fight and uh, look um, yeah we go gonna, gonna follow up on you in the future so take care all the best and uh, good luck with your work thank you likewise